I remember when I was a freshman in college, I was at Young Harris College, and I had a, an Old Testament class. It was my very first Bible class that I ever took. And I remember that in that class, we had a textbook that we were supposed to read. And I remember going back to my dorm after that first day of class, and I started reading through it. And there were these questions that were raised, questions that I had about, well, it's talking about the historical evidence and this challenge and people who have raised all these different questions about whether the Bible can be trusted. And so I, I took that book and I marched down to the campus minister's office. He was teaching the class and I walked down to his office underneath the chapel and I've got the book in my hand and he had this look on his face like he, he was in, in his 60s. He taught there for about 30 years and he had this look in his face like, oh, here it goes again. The angry 18-year-old ready to defend the book. And so I walked in and he's sitting there, and I said, I feel like this book is trying to say that I should question whether the Bible is reliable or not. What do you think? And then just kind of put it on him. A few years ago, we were on youth choir tour, and we were sitting in a hotel lobby eating breakfast one morning. And we were getting ready to uh, go about our day, and one of the girls came up to me and asked me a question, and I, I think it was about something related to the devotion that we were doing, and I said, Jesus, Jesus is the answer. And she goes, Jesus is the answer? I said, yes, Jesus is always the answer. And Ashley Griffin, our youth director, was sitting near me, and there was a guy down at the end of the table, and he goes, oh, really? Jesus is the answer? I said, yes, that's what we believe. Hello to you. And he said, interesting I've got a lot of questions for you so I did the responsible thing as a leader of the group I said girls to the room go 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 <laughs> and uh Ashley mainly because I didn't want them to hear me and Ashley stumble through trying to defend everything to him but we, we got into this conversation with this guy and he started raising these questions he's like I study history and I've looked at all this and that and I've seen this question and this question I'm I'm thinking back to freshman year of college I'm going, whoa, I am on the other side of the table, literally and figuratively, of this entire conversation. And I've realized throughout the years that this is something that people really have wrestled with. This is something that people are challenged by. They see something on the History Channel. They see something in a book in Barnes & Noble, and it raises questions for them. And, and they, they think, okay, there, there's a little bit of a hole in the side of the boat. And for some people, those holes add up, and it sinks the whole thing for them. It sinks their entire faith. And I believe that it's something that we all have to wrestle with, and it's something that we all have to come to our own conclusions about. But it's that question of, can the Bible be trusted? Is this a book that has any sort of reliability to it? Is it something that's even relevant to our lives? Questions of, can we trust the Bible. Well, the scripture that we had for this morning from 2 Timothy, the third chapter, going into the fourth chapter, we find Paul talking to one of his disciples, Timothy. And Timothy is a, a young leader in the faith. And Paul is talking to him, and he's been encouraging him and trying to show him the right way. And he starts talking to Timothy, and he says, you know, you really just need to go back to your childhood. And he offers up this challenge. He says, you must continue with the things you have learned and found convincing because you know who taught you. Since childhood, 
you have known the holy scriptures that help you to be wise in the way that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. And then he introduces what I believe is, is the first test that we can turn to related to can we trust the Bible, and that is the internal test of reliability. Can we trust the Bible? First thing we do is we turn to the inside. We turn to what Scripture says about itself. And there's a pretty famous verse there. It says, Every Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. Now, these verses, what they do is they highlight that the Scripture has been inspired by God. And if it's something that's been inspired by God, some translation says God breathed. Literally, God has breathed them into existence, inspiring the writers who actually wrote it down with their hands and pen and paper, or pen and parchment, whatever it might have been. God has inspired them, and if God has inspired these words, these are words that we should trust. If they came directly from the lips of God, from the Spirit of God inspiring the writers, certainly it's something that we could trust. And throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see consistent references to Scripture being trustworthy, to God's Word uh, being something that is reliable, that we can trust. Now, the challenge that people would raise to this uh, should be pretty obvious. If there are any good English teachers in the room, they will tell you that you can't use the word in the definition. How can you trust that the Bible is true simply based because the Bible says that it's true? I could tell you that I am really good at golf, um, but that's my opinion, and you probably shouldn't trust. I'm really not good at golf, just in case you were wondering. But the, the question would come up, can we trust it just because the Bible says it about itself? Well, there is one internal argument that I think is pretty convincing. When I worked at the University of Georgia Wesley Foundation, we had a, a question one day come up in one of our staff meetings. And we were talking about how you interpret Scripture and how do we know that Scripture is reliable. And someone had, had raised a question, and our, our campus minister kind of stepped in, and he said, you know, here, here is where I base my faith on. This is what I think is, is what we should use as, as our guide for how we interpret Scripture. He says, for me, it all goes back to the resurrection of Jesus. We said, okay, we're listening. And he said, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of my faith, and it's the reason that I believe the Bible. Okay, keep going. He says, the resurrection for me shows that if Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, that proves the claims that he said about himself, that he was indeed God's son. And if he's indeed God's son, then everything that he said is true and we can trust it. And if we trust everything that he said, the argument kind of keeps unfolding, then we can trust that when he affirmed the Old Testament, when he said that things like in Matthew 5, 17, that I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish them, we can trust that it's true. And so Jesus affirmed the entire Bible, and the resurrection affirms Jesus. And because of that, uh, we can have faith that the Scripture is true and should be followed. Now, you might have questions related to that as to how can we trust the resurrection was true. Well, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. 
And he says, I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Christ died for our sins in line with the scriptures. So confirming what the scriptures had already said. He was buried and he rose on the third day in line with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to, this is the key part, more than 500 brothers and sisters at once. Here's the key phrase. Most of them are still alive to this day though some have died. Now, the key to me is the fact that those eyewitnesses are still alive. How many of you were here when Tim Steffen was the associate pastor? He's our senior pastor now. How many of you remember when he was the associate pastor? We've got a few hands uh, out there. Um, If you were to go to uh, the Nan Freeman fish fry, okay? They've got a fish fry coming up soon. If you were to go to that, which I encourage you to do, just show up uninvited, don't really do that. Um, but if you were to go to their fish fry and they were to start telling stories about Tim when he was the associate pastor here before, a good many of them were actually here. And so one of them might tell a story, you remember that time that Tim told this joke in church and uh, it was, you know, funny, but a lot of people didn't get it. And, and then they start talking back and forth about this experience when he was there. You know, a few people might go, yeah, I remember that, or no, I don't remember that. I must not have been there that Sunday, and they would talk through it a little bit. If one of them, sitting at the table, said, do you remember that time that Tim died? And then on Sunday morning, lo and behold, there was Tim ready to preach. Um, There would be a lot of head scratching going on, and a lot of people going, I was there, that didn't happen. And so what Paul is saying is essentially, those people who saw this, a lot of them are still around. Go talk to them. Ask them. That proves that this really happened because the people who saw it can still tell you that it happened, and they're still around to tell us about it. It's part of that internal test of reliability where where the Bible kind of proves itself. And the people were so convinced that he had risen from the dead that it shaped the entire early movement. It shaped their theology. It shaped how they thought. It shaped everything about what they did as a people. And so it was so important to them. And they wouldn't have been so convinced. It wouldn't have spread like wildfire like it did if they didn't believe that that resurrection experience was true. And so the internal test of reliability is a helpful place for us to turn. And I believe that the resurrection is a foundation for believing uh, everything within the Christian faith. We also can look to external tests of reliability. There have been many people who have set out over the years to disprove the scriptures. They have set out to say, well, there's this issue, there's this issue. I don't think that we can agree to it. And the majority of these people who set out to disprove it, many of them are famous. I've got a few listed in the message notes. A lot of them have have decided, you know what? After searching and searching and searching, I, I didn't believe in it at all. And I was simply trying to disprove it. But in the process, I became convinced myself. But still, there are challenges that people will raise. One challenge that people might raise is that You can't trust the Bible because there there were a number of years that passed between events in which things were just passed down orally, and you can't really trust oral transmission. Here's why I think that you can't, that people think that, that they jump to that conclusion. 
Last night, uh, my wife Emma and I got home from dinner, and we had gone out with some friends to celebrate a friend's birthday, and we get home, and we've been busy all day. Um, we've, Emma is eight months pregnant, and so we were busy all day trying to get the house ready, trying to get things ready for the baby to come. And so uh, I cut the grass, which I might not have time to do when the baby comes. And Emma was getting the hospital bag ready. And uh, we were getting the car seat installed in the car. And, and we were just doing all these things in preparation for the baby to come. Well, our dog, the poor thing, she was just laying in the middle of the floor watching us moping. Uh, whenever we would walk near the door in the area of her leash, she would jump up and she would get excited. And so we knew on the way home. It's still light outside. We've, we've got to take one for the team. We're tired, but we've got to take the dog on a walk. She's been expecting it all day because we were home all day. And so we get home, and we change clothes, and we're ready to go on this walk. And so we're ready to go, and we, we, we get the leash on her, and we go outside, and we spray up with bug spray, and we're walking down the road, and we get a few houses down, and all of a sudden we feel a couple of drops on our head. And when I say that we're walking, I mean that the dog is ready to go. She's just, she's just like, you know, jerking us along, and I'm trying, I've got the dog, and I'm trying to say, okay, slow down, mommy can't walk this fast. She's eight months pregnant, so she's, Emma's kind of waddling along. I have her permission to tell the story, I promise. And so she's kind of, you know, waddling along. We're, we're kind of struggling through this walk, and uh, we're th I'm thinking to myself, if it starts really raining, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, we're just going to get soaked. And so we get a few more houses down, and the bottom completely falls out. And we're kind of hobbling back to the house, and the dog is just like, doesn't like to get wet. She's ready to go. And I'm trying to kind of pull the reins, and it's like, we got to wait for her. And Emma's trying to do like this little waddle jog thing. And we're, we're going along, and we are, you know, just laughing. And we're like, this is one of those stories that we're going to tell our you know, this will be funny. We're, we're kind of laughing it off as it's happening. But here's how we think that oral transmission takes place. You know good and well that by the time that that child is a teenager, that the story is going to have become, we were three miles from home, and it started pouring down rain, and it was almost dark, and then all of a sudden in April, in Macon, it started snowing, and we had to go uphill to get back home, and your mother was, look what she went through to bring you into this world. And, and the story is just going to be embellished. It's going to grow and grow and grow like a fish tale. And we think that that's how stories must have been passed down in the ancient world. But if you study the history, if you study how ancient cultures worked, oral transmission of stories was the foundation of their societies. It was what they based everything on. It was how one generation to the next knew what was true and what was important and what should be followed. And so that argument doesn't really add up because the external evidence, the external test shows that it is in fact reliable that a lot of it was passed down orally because it was such an important part of their culture that they took care to pass it down well. There's another challenge that people raise and it's the issue of manuscripts. They'll look at the manuscripts and they'll say, see, this one here is a little bit different than this one here. Uh, can't trust any of it. Well, there are scholars who have gone back and looked at some of these questions that people have raised, and they've, they've looked at the manuscripts. And I, I was watching a video with one of them this past week, and this New Testament scholar said, you know what? When you go and you look at those differences between the manuscripts, 
What we're really talking about is, is in most cases, just a difference of punctuation um, or a difference of phrasing. It doesn't do anything to change the meaning of it. And so that whole argument of, well, look at the differences, uh, doesn't really add up. There are archaeological questions that have been raised. There are philosophical questions that have been raised. But everyone who's truly tried to, to set out, for the most part, not, not all, but a lot of people have found that it is, in fact, reliable, that it does, in fact, add up. But I believe that there's one more question that we turn to. And that is the question of, yeah, I believe that it, it can be trusted. Okay, maybe it is accurate, but it's this old historic book. What difference does it really make for our lives? In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, Paul would say it this way in, in verse 3. He says, there will come a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. They will collect teachers who say what they want to hear because they are self-centered. They will turn their back on the truth and turn to myths. And so, so many people turn away from the scriptures because they see uh, that there's other things that they could follow. And they, and they think, oh, it's just this old historic book. Let's just go with the latest conventional wisdom. But what, what I have seen over and over and over again, and many of you have seen this, is that when people turn to the Bible, they find that it's not only reliable, it's also relevant to their lives. Within it, there are answers to some of our deepest questions. Within it, we see a beautiful story of redemption that unfolds and how we have salvation and everlasting life offered to us. We read it and we are convicted of things going on in our lives. We read it and we see what character is supposed to look like, what it means to truly love other people and not be so self-absorbed. We read it and we see that there's hope of life beyond what we see tangibly around us and that there is a kingdom of heaven that God desires to see established on this earth and that we will experience forevermore in which everything is made right and everything is made whole. I've heard stories from people who, whose marriages were completely broken and they said, one day I started reading the Bible and it started changing everything for us. I've had people tell me I was this close to taking my life, and on the day I had planned to do it, someone gave me a Bible, and I read those words, and it changed everything. My hopelessness was changed to hope. My despair was filled with joy. I've heard people tell stories of their addictions and how in the midst of their addictions, everything in their life had become broken. And they would read a Bible that they had gotten as a child, and they would start to read it, and life change would begin to happen. Whether it's relationships or finances or anxiety or, or just addictions or, or just wrestling with questions about life and what is in the life to come. We're reminded throughout Scripture what Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is living and active. It is something that has that come to transform us, something that we can turn to that is relevant to our lives. And as Paul told Timothy in that famous verse, it is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training characters so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. Scripture challenges us. It shapes us. It's relevant to who we are. It's relevant to everything that we do. There's a story I, I told in a sermon this past fall. 
uh, but it, it, it's such a powerful one to me. And it's the story of Bart Ehrman. He is one of those guys. Um, you can find him in the Barnes and Noble religion section. Um, he is pretty dead set trying to disprove uh, that the Bible is true. And he's a New Testament professor at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And th there's a story that he told at a conference one time, and I, I heard about it about a year ago. And in this story, he, he talks about how when his classes come together at the beginning of the semester, he gives them all a test, and it's 25 questions long. And he'll cue them up, he'll say, how many of you believe that the Bible is, is God's word? And they'll, they'll, most of them will raise their hands. And, They'll say, how, how many of you believe that it, it, it's truly inspired by God? That it is, as 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, that it is inspired by God, it is God-breathed. And the majority of them will raise their hands, maybe a few less. But they, they all say, for the most part, yeah, we believe that this is God's word. And he gives them the test, and he says, if you get every question right, I will give you a steak dinner. And as he was telling this story at a conference a few years ago, he said, uh, in all my years of teaching, he's been teaching for a pretty good while, uh, I can tell you that I can use both of my hands with a few fingers missing to t count up the number of times I've had to pay up on that test. And this is what he tells his class. He says, if you truly believed that this was God's word, you would read it. You would know it. And, and you, you wouldn't have gotten all these questions wrong on my test. And it's a little petty the way he goes about it. It's a little petty the way that he tries to steer people astray. But I think that there's some truth, even in the midst of him trying to disprove Scripture, that we can turn to. It's that the Bible, God's Word, is relevant to our lives. It is God-breathed. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit for the transformation of our lives. It is useful for teaching, for correcting, for all those things that Paul listed off to Timothy. And if we, we truly believe that, if we truly can answer affirmatively to that question, can the Bible be trusted, it should shape us. It should change us. It should be something that we take the time uh, on our own to turn to. And some of you this morning, you might have uh, incredible things in your life that you are fighting. Um, and I, I would say that you may not get a direct answer to whatever it is that you're carrying this morning. But I will say that you will find a word that is relevant to your life, that has the power to shape you, to be living and active within you. And so at the bottom of the message notes this morning, I want to encourage you to take those questions home with you um, and to read them and to, to ask yourselves, all right, do I have a regular plan for this? Um, if not, what is a way that I realistically can jump into studying the scripture? What is a way that I can jump in to knowing it, to reading it, to trusting it, and being shaped by it? And Paul says to Timothy in verse four, chap, uh, or chapter 4, verse 5, he says, You must keep control of yourselves in all circumstances, endure suffering, do the work of a preacher of the good news, and carry out your service faithfully. And so you may want to ask yourselves, what does it look like to do the work of a preacher of the good news? What does that look like in your life? Are there things about you that don't add up with what the book says should be about you as a child of God? And what are some ways that you can proclaim that good news to those that you encounter in the world? 
as the band, all two of them, come back up to uh, lead us in our final song, I want to encourage you to, to use this time of reflection uh, as an opportunity to pray, to worship, um, and to ask God how God might be leading you uh, to be shaped through his holy word.